You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Day and night must scramble for a living Feed a wife and children Send his daily press And who has a right as master of the house To have the final word Now we learn Okay, and there goes the music and, of course, you can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many as I can. And, of course, if you don't want to use my email, you can go to our webpage at letstalktorah.net. And there's all kinds of good stuff. Check out all the old shows, hunt for stuff, search for stuff, interviews, Torah portions, and, of course, the all-important donate button. And that would be, of course, most greatly appreciated if you could help out the show, help us grow, get more people involved, more people listening. So hit any of those um, levels for donations. All levels are greatly appreciated. And if you'd like a shout-out, a happy birthday, an anniversary, anything you'd like, just write that in the comment box over there, and we can take care of that for you. So we are in summer mode. Kids are in camp, going on trips, sports, stuff. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer, having around, having a great time. Um, you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm out of breath, but I'm a few minutes late, got stuck in my office, and I, I wanted to send a message ahead to Jenna and people in the studio that I'm just running a few minutes late. You know, I'm not going to speed or anything. But Michigan has that great new law. And you can't even send a text at a stop sign or at a stoplight. You're in the car. You're not touching your phone, which is really not a bad thing. Now, I'm sure people can tell me that I could tell my uh, phone to send a text to whoever I want. I'll be honest. I'm not really sure how to do that yet. Um, Probably my kids know. But uh, since I don't know how to do it and I'm not going to learn while I'm driving... So um, we'll just keep going. But it's a good law. It's not a bad idea to get used to um, not answering your phone. I actually have a few phones, and sometimes I forward messages to a phone, like ringing this morning on the way to school, on the way, well, way to day camp. The phone was ringing, but not the one that's Bluetoothed to my car. So I can't pick up the phone to tell you that I can't pick up the phone because I can't pick it up. And you know what? The world did not stop just because I couldn't pick up my phone. What a concept. Amazing. Anyways, let's get into what we want to talk about. So we're right up to the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, and that's Tisha B'Av. The literal translation of Tisha B'Av is the ninth. Of the month of Av, it is a Jewish month. It is the saddest month in the calendar because many tragedies befell the Jewish people all on the exact same day. And we know nothing is by chance, nothing is happenstance. Um, Therefore, this became the day, this is the day of crying um, throughout the years. The story is told in Napoleon. He sees a, a... 
passed by a synagogue in France and sees all these Jews crying on the floor, and he says, what happened? What happened? So he got the message, and their temple was destroyed. When did this happen? So uh, for him, it was a little under uh, 2,000 years. I don't know, 1,800 years ago. And they're still crying today? If they can still cry about something 1,800 years earlier, from something from 1,800 years ago, so that, that there's a reason that the Jewish people continue to exist because we have our past, we have our present, and we have our future. So I want to I wanna try to talk about the day, but there's really a, a lot of interesting thoughts that go into Tisha B'Av and how we should be looking at it and how we should be feeling. But the most important thing that we want to figure out today is um, that this saddest day in the year actually shows God's tremendous love for the Jewish people. And that's the direction that we're heading towards. But first, let's get a feeling of, of what's going on, of what happened on this day. So it all starts when the Jewish people get out of Egypt. We get out of Egypt. Uh, 49 days later, we get the Torah. Uh, 40 days after that, we have the golden calf. Um, approximately a year later, we've gotten the Torah, we've built the tabernacle, and we're marching towards the land of Israel. And the Jewish people get nervous, and they ask Moses to send spies. The spies come back with a bad report. We've talked about it. And the people believe the bad report. And as the spies come back and say, 10 out of the 12 at least, say that there's no way that uh, we can conquer. God's not strong enough to conquer the land of Israel. Uh, we're all done for. And the people believed, and they cried that night. And God says, you cried for no reason. I'm going to give you a reason to cry. So that's the first tragedy. That crying, that night of crying, was the night of Tishavah. Both the first and second temple were destroyed on the day of Tishavah. Now, takes time to destroy such a big building, but the fire caught. That was the the enemy had entered into the the temple and they set it on fire and it didn't finish burning on the ninth of Av, but it certainly started on the ninth of Av. That was both in the first temple and and about four hundred and ninety years later the second temple. Two other things. Um the the, the Romans plowed over the Temple Mount because they wanted to lower it. It shouldn't be such a high mountain. And the city of Betar was destroyed. That was after the revolt of Bar Kokhba, who was fighting the Romans and being successful. And uh, he made some tragic errors. He basically told God, if you don't uh, get involved, I can win by myself. And of course, that's silly because all war is through God. Again, we've talked about this in the past. I actually saw this morning, it's very interesting, the, um, those that study the, the one page a day of Talmud, means two sides, both sides of the folio, both sides of the page, it's called a blot or a daf. So it happens to be today's page um, discusses that city of Beitar. It seems it was a humongous um, city, and it had um, more than hundreds, 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 hundreds of teachers and classes. It seems interesting. It says that, that like each 
each Rebbe, each teacher had like 400 students, which is amazing. Except the law is, uh, Maimonides says that a teacher can't teach such a big class, right? This is not lecture halls, right? It's so much children. So what are you doing with so many children in class? So um, one of the commentaries I saw this morning says, fascinating, he says, the, the people running the city were so cheap that instead of hiring enough teachers, they had you know fewer teachers, humongous-sized classes, and when a city is cheap on paying its teachers that are teaching children Torah, cities get destroyed or exiled, and that's what happened. The Beit Beit was a humongous city; it was destroyed. Which was, I don't want to say you know, we talked about the beginning of the end. That was like the the end of the end. That was like the nail in the coffin that really stamped that the exile's beginning, and we're not getting the temple back anytime soon, and and we're and we're suffering till this day. So those are the five tragedies that took place. So what did we lose? Like, what are we talking about? We have synagogues. We have beautiful synagogues. There's synagogues everywhere. Wherever you go, there's beautiful synagogues. And some are magnificent. So what was the temple? So you you have to have a picture of the temple, right? You have this mountain. You have this building, which is totally set up for spirituality. Anybody who wants to come... You're going up staircases and ramps and just thousands of people are coming and you're going to come to the temple and you're going to see the the priests walking around very regal and people bring sacrifices and everyone is taken care of and why are you here? And it's a donation sacrifice. It's so beautiful. And Or I want to repent. Okay, let me tell you how to do it. Tell me what you did wrong and go over here and you you pay for your sacrifices and the different stuff you need and and you have your, your tickets, and you're going to go to the next room, and you're going to get the stuff you need, and you're going to wait online, and the coin will take you, and, and you just, you're in this magnificent, but I don't, I don't think it was the beauty of the room. It was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. The temple itself was beautiful, and, and you're in this big courtyard, and there's hundreds of people, and they're bringing their sacrifices, and, and the Levites are singing, and, and you, the, you have the big altar, and there's the fire on top, and... and it's it's big. You probably feel small, but you feel uplifted. And and then off to the side, you you see the whole uh, building of the of that's the real temple part where the menorah is in there and the showbread build um, tables in there and the and where they bring the Ketorah spices. And behind that is the holy of holies, and it's surrounded by all kinds of rooms and and the floor is clean and it's just it's it's. You're, you're in awe, and you, you, you feel, you feel God's presence. And that was part of why the Torah commands us three times a year to go up to the temple so we can feel God's presence. And and that kind of feeling is something, as we say, you can't buy that feeling, right? That's, you're just enthralled, and, and your, your, your soul is being tugged, and, and you get it. And the whole year you're working, you're farming, you're taking care. Yes, you're making blessings. Yes, you're studying Torah. Yes, you're doing uh, God's commandments. And you're giving charity and you're helping people. But but this is what it's all about, right? In other words, everything I'm doing is so I can have that spiritual connection and, and, and you really, it becomes tangible, 
and you walk into the temple, you, you feel it. Like, you know what to do with yourself. And then you'll, you'll leave, and some sacrifices you'll eat, and you'll stay in Jerusalem for a few days, and, and you'll be with other people there, and, and then you go home, right? That's, you know, at the end of the day, we're going home, but, but you, you got that recharge, right? You got that spiritual charge, and the idea is it should uh, carry you along. So that's what we lost. That was the ability to get that close to God, that ability to feel his presence. Yes, there's always times that we can do different things and perhaps feel God's presence. And maybe when you go to synagogue, you feel it a little bit. Maybe when you're studying really good, you can feel a little bit. Maybe when you're doing a a good mitzvah, you're you're feeling it a little bit, but, but not the way they felt it. And that's something that we want back. And that's something we can't have. <laughs> and I was in prayer, we say, we say in our daily prayers three times a day that that I want you to I want to see your presence, God. I want your presence back, which means I want Jerusalem, which means I want the temple. We want that ability, we want that opportunity to feel God's presence. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're praying for. That's that's what the Messiah is gonna bring. That we got our temple back. God's presence is back, and we get to serve God at a way higher level than what we're used to. So that's what we lost. That is what we lost. So what happens? So we were not uh, acting, behaving the way we were supposed to be. In the first temple, we were committing uh, certainly grave sins, um, Somebody stopped me in the hallway this morning. It happens to be what we're studying um, in school. Uh, I keep calling it school because it's in the school building. It's really camp. We switch around classrooms. So some people like to go slower and they like to have conversations. I, I got to go fast. Somehow, as long as I'm studying and the boys are learning, it's a good trick for any teacher. Why should I call it a trick? As long as you're learning, it's hard for kids to misbehave because they're so busy learning they don't have a chance. You're not giving the opportunity to misbehave. But as soon as you get bogged down, and you, and you, that's why they ask questions sometimes. They try to bog you down. So you've got to be able to take the questions, move along the program, and know which questions get answered later or which ones are not appropriate. And you just got to blow by them and, and move. So it's a, it's a good skill. It's not so easy. Right? Kids are really good at the and asking certain questions to see if they can uh, slow you down. Are they, are they so conniving? Not exactly, but, but they know what's going on. In any case, so the first temple, we had our issues. Second temple, certainly there was baseless hatred, um, which reminds me of an amazing story. Um, but we didn't get along. So God says, you're not getting along. You don't deserve that in the temple. I was, um, my son likes to ask rabbis questions. So I'm looking to sort of put a little pamphlet together for him of all the different questions he's asked over the years. And one of them we just had was interesting, was um, talking about peace. God loves peace, right? As we were fighting, we're busy fighting, not getting along with each other by the temple. So therefore, God destroyed the temple. So my son asked that... 
uh, by the Tower of Babel, it says everybody got along. So, and but they're getting along was to fight God, right? They're building that tower. They're looking to fight with God. So God comes down. He punishes them. He spreads them all out. Destroys the tower. So my son asks if God loves peace. So why did he punish them? So the rabbi told me, he said, God loves peace, but it has to be peace that helps other people. Right? And I was, God wants us to be friends, to be together with each other, but if our being friendly together is so we can rob a bank, that's not the peace God's looking for. Right? If our getting together is so we can hurt somebody else, that's not the peace God's looking for. In any case, so God destroys the temple, but in there, everybody discusses there's a blessing in that way. In other words, God has to, has to give us a punishment. So either the punishment is he'll destroy the temple or he'll just wipe out the Jewish people. So sending his anger, that's what they call it, sending his anger. What it really means, we getting punished, um, at least the punishment was the temple being destroyed instead of us getting wiped out. So there's a benefit there. Yes, we, we are upset at what we lost, but God found a way to punish us in a way that we're still standing. So my daughter-in-law's grandfather um, calls me up multiple times a year. I love talking to him. Um, he's good because he calls me, but he only calls for one reason. He calls every time he wants to tell me a good time for prayer. Whenever it's an auspicious time to talk to God, he calls me. So he called me up and he told me the location. I thought I had the the um, the book in my basement. I have the the author wrote multiple books and I don't have that one he was referring to. But uh, it's, he he brought down from what's called the Nesiva Shalom, the Slan Rebbe. He says, "How do you understand um, this period of time that the Jewish people are in, where where God loves us? How, where do you see?" this special love of God. So he says, he gives a, a, a parable. He says, imagine a doctor has to operate on his son. He has to amputate one of his limbs. But by amputating, this, the child will live. So the father is in tremendous pain. He's cutting off his son's foot. It is so painful. At the same time, he knows this is the cure. So... He loves his son. Does it hurt? Of course it hurts. Must it be done? Of course it must be done. But that doesn't mean that the doctor doesn't love his son. Because he loves his son and he knows that this is the best thing that he could do for his child, so therefore he does it. And that's what's happening with the destruction of the temple. And that's what I told you we're going to get into. That God shows his love Sometimes with love, you know, people like to call it tough love. Most of the people who say tough love, they are not doing tough love. They're just angry, so they want to punish somebody, and then they want to have a good excuse. But God's, what you want to call tough love, is it's a love because it's what's necessary for us. It's what's necessary for us to... Whoa. It's what's necessary for us to move forward. That's the love that we're talking about. 
So it says that when the when the when when they were destroying the temple, so some of the nations walked in to the Holy of Holies and they saw the Kruvim, those two um, figures of children that were made of gold um, on top of the ark were actually hugging. It says, normally they're gold, right? They're not supposed to move too much. But when they're looking down, it means God's not so happy. When they're looking at each other, God's very happy with us. So here it says they were hugging, right? But God's destroying the temple, so what gives? So yeah, God's destroying the temple and this is how he shows his love for us, right? I mean, parents, right? That's what parents, good parents, you know, deal with all the time, right? I'm not my, I mean, I, I'm nice to my child. I love my child. And it's going to sound a little, a little cold. I'm not my child's friend. Yes, we love each other. We get along with each other. We want to talk to each other. But friends, <laughs> my job is to just make you happy. We're friends. I'll make you happy. You make me happy. I enjoy your company. Very good. A real friend, right, will inform you when you're doing something wrong to make sure you, you know, you're okay. Most friends don't do that because uh, nobody likes conflict. But a parent's job is to raise the child. And if the child makes a mistake, the parent has to help the child get past that mistake. If they misbehave in school, it's the parent's job to get them on track. I tell that to teachers sometimes. Okay, that child's married already. I said, yeah, this one, sometimes he falls off the track. Usually he's very good. Sometimes he, you know, the train just goes off the track. So you tell me whenever there's a problem, I'll get him back on the track and we should be good to go. Right? You got to know your child. You got to know how to deal with your child. You got to help your child. But the parent's job is to help this child become a good citizen. Right? In my case, I want... I want to raise my child so he can go on, get married, raise his own children, and teach them all about God and teach them how to live a Torah lifestyle. That's what I'm looking to do. But as a parent, right, we're looking that our children, my children, it's not my child's job to make me happy, right? That's what people get confused, right? It's, it's the parent's job to help raise the child to be a healthy human being, to 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 run a, to have a good life, good married life, children, right? Teach his children or her children, right? That's the that's the goal, right? Um, but my time is running out. I want to tell you a quick story. So the story goes like this: There was a Rabbi Green. who was a teacher in in a school in Kugarn uh, in either Kugarn Hills, I think, or for Rockaway. He had a flat tire, so he calls AAA. And a, uh, a truck driver, um, a Mexican truck driver, shows up. And he's, he's rabbi, Mexican uh, tow truck guy, and he's fixing the tire. And all of a sudden, this Mexican tow truck guy starts talking to him in Yiddish. Yiddish is, for the most part, an exclusively Jewish-European language. So the, this Rabbi Green says, whoa, are you Jewish? He says, nope, I'm not Jewish. He says, how do you know Yiddish? He says, I used to be a bodyguard. Um, I was a policeman, a police officer, and in Williamsburg there was this big rabbi known as the Satmar Rebbe, and I was his bodyguard. I would dress up um, with, the, with the garb, and I'd have one of those hats, and I'd get a beard, and, and i had my payas, and uh, I basically looked like one of them. And my job was to look for the troublemakers. I said, wow, how, how could you tell who's a troublemaker? He said... 
that, uh, you know, you guys are people of the book. So if you were the people that are more bent over, okay, they seem to be, you know, one of us. But a guy who was standing too tall and too straight and looking around, I knew to keep an eye out for that guy. Okay? So then this Rabbi Green says to the, uh, to the tow truck guy, he says, uh, did you ever hear the phrase, a Yiddish a cup? He says, yeah, it means smart people. Wow, very good. So then this tow truck driver, there's actually a book about him. He says, let me ask you guys a question. He says, your temple was destroyed over 2,000 years ago, right? Yep. He says, and, and why was it destroyed? Oh, because we fought. We didn't get along. So the tuck driver says, so you guys are so smart. You know the reason your temple was destroyed is because you didn't get along. And for 2,000 years, you couldn't figure it out? All right, think about that story. The music's playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have Jenna with us today in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. Special things I compile, each one there.